You're listening to the Gambling Gauchos, part of the Stake in the Plains content network and the Dave Campbell's Republic of Football podcast feed. Just a couple of casino caballeros talking Texas Tech, betting on the Big 12 and beyond. Now, here's Kyle Jacobson and Rob Bro live from the Cardinal Sports Center studio. Welcome to the Gambling Gauchos. I'm Rob Bro. He's Kyle Jacobson. Joined today by Sam Kahn Jr. in the Cardinal Sports Center studio. Coming up on the largest sidewalk sale of all time here in Lubbock, right outside the loop on Slide Road. Uh, Sam Kahn Jr. is the senior writer at The Athletic and... I don't know if this is self-entitled or athletic-titled Texpert. Uh, I hope that's on the door of your office there at the Athletic, Sam. No, the Texpert title was very unofficial. It was uh, kind of what I threw at the focus of the Athletic when I was pitching the job that we were – when we were discussing the role that I was going to have. Because I, I essentially told them, basically, I want to cover the state of Texas. And that was a cute way to put it. It wasn't necessarily intended to be a title. It was actually something that – came up with a conversation with my old, one of my old editors at ESPN. It was one of his ideas, and I think he came up with that title. And so I just kind of threw it in conversation, and they loved it. So they wanted me to run with it. So we, we've kept it this whole time. Uh, and I think it's just, like I said, it's a nice, neat, clean way to describe what my role is. Well, we love it. We uh, just kind of began an affiliation with Dave Campbell's Texas football uh, this offseason. And so, you know, we've been kind of making an effort to get to know some of the other Texas schools and especially with the conference membership shaking up. Uh, as you know, we're kind of taking a virtual tour of the Big 12, wanted to talk to somebody who covers every school. And I know you cover more than just Houston, but as an alumnus, thought you'd be the perfect person to uh, chat with about the Cougars coming up this season. So I guess we'll dive right into it. Um, maybe let's start high level and just talk about uh, how well equipped you think this program is, or maybe how difficult of an adjustment it'll be going to the Big 12. You know, we've We've seen realignment moves in the past. It works out for some programs. Um, others, it's a more difficult transition. So as constructed today, how do you think Houston, maybe three or five years from now, uh, fits into the new Big 12? Yeah, three to five years, I think the potential is really high. Uh, when I look at the four new programs coming in, BYU, UCF, Houston, and Cincinnati, uh, obviously Cincinnati has the highest level success most recently with that college football playoff berth. But when I look at the long-term ceiling of the program, I think Houston has the highest of, of the, the, re, the reason being the recruiting footprint that they sit in is they sit in the city of Houston, one of the most fertile recruiting hotbeds in the country, right in the heart of Texas. And that that's really what has been missing for them in the recruiting trail. The last 20 years, 25 years, it's been, they, it's been hard to keep guys home because they didn't, offer the chance to play in a premier conference or premier television slots or, or have the kind of exposure that you did if you would go to the Big 12 or the SEC or, or other conferences uh, in the power structure. So that, to me, if Houston can just kind of hone in and win the battles that they haven't been able to, and you're starting to see signs of it now, they are already starting to recruit at a higher level now since they've been announced as members of the Big 12 uh, in the last two years. So. I think the ceiling for them is really good three to five years down the road, but I do think in the early going, it's going to be an adjustment period just because they're going to be going up against rosters that have been built for Big 12 football while they're still trying to get there. Certainly want to get into the roster makeup of Houston. I know it's 
been tumultuous this offseason, but uh, tumultuous is also a good word for the head coach, Dana Holgerson, <laughs> uh, near Texas Tech coach a couple of years ago, but they uh, went with Matt Wells instead. Um, how is his tenure gone, and is coming home to the Big 12 going to be a good move for Dana with maybe a, a warming seat there in Houston? Yeah, I think it's I think he's the right guy to bring them in because he's done this transition before. He did it at West Virginia and it was a lot shorter timetable because they they were announced as incoming members a year before they got there. So less than a year really. So it, it was a lot of faster, more accelerated process at West Virginia, but he knows at least or has an idea of what power five football is supposed to look like, what what the Big 12 is supposed to look like. And that's been the recruiting uh, acumen. I guess the recruiting objective at this point is sign power five players. It doesn't matter if they come from the portal. It doesn't matter if they come from high schools. It doesn't matter if they come from junior colleges, wherever the heck they come from, get power five players on this roster. His, obviously, his tenure has been up and down. And, and the, the first season, obviously, he washed. We, we, they did the whole redshirt experiment and, and redshirted so many of their upperclassmen in an effort to try to get the roster older, to get more guys, uh, more experience, and, and age the group a little bit. And then that second season got disrupted heavily by the pandemic. They had, I think, eight or nine games disrupted by that. And of course, everybody had that, but I feel like Houston got bit with that even more so than a lot of other teams. Then they finally had the breakout season in 2021. They went 12-2. and two. They won a bowl game, beat Auburn. They played in the conference championship game. Uh, lost to Cincinnati, but that was the kind of season that people thought they're turning the corner. So then you look into the 2022 season, you think this could be a New Year's Six team. This could be a team that makes some real noise. Maybe they run the table possibly, and they end up eight and five. So it was a huge disappointment because they lost a lot of games that I think you would categorize as games they should have won. And also, I just don't think you felt like they played to their fullest potential as a team. So there's a lot of questions about where this program is as they enter the league, and they're going to step up the competition heavily, and that schedule is a lot harder than the one they just played in their last year in the Americas. I guess that's a good segue. Let's talk about the schedule because for the last decade plus in the Big 12, everyone's had the same schedule. You play everybody else. There's really no variance. Um, but this year, not the case. You know, some Some programs get to play Texas and OU. Some only get one or the other. Uh, some go on the road, some at home. So Houston's first year uh, in the Big 12 schedule, what are some highlights? Uh, do you think they have a challenging schedule relative to the rest of the conference, or do you think it's um, a little bit more doable compared to maybe some of the other newcomers? Yeah, I think if it was just a standard Big 12 schedule, I, I wouldn't really uh, quibble with it very much. But for Houston, this is going to be a challenge. And like I said, because you haven't been playing a schedule of this this caliber for a while and I think where it's going to really hit it's going to hit down the stretch like early on there's going to be some some eye catchers the UTSA game to start which obviously is a non-conference game that's a game they had to go into three overtimes last year to win and Frank Harris is back and multiple receivers are back and that's still a really good team coached by Jeff Trailer. so that one's going to be interesting that the crosstown rivalry with Rice is interesting because that's a game that Houston had to fight to win late last year but the big the big 12 conference opener for them against TCU I think is going to be your first real barometer and that's the highlight that's the one that I think the fans are looking for because it's their first big 12 game and TCU is a team that of course went to the national championship game last year 
they're a lot different now than they were last year in terms of their roster because they lost so much of that experience and, and so much production from that TCU team. But that's still going to be a huge buzzworthy game uh, on the schedule for them. And then you look further down, they got the road game at Texas Tech, which of course we know those teams went to overtime last year as well. And then the, the big one that all the Houston fans have circled is October 21st is when they host Texas. They have not played Texas since 2002. Uh, there's been some reasons for that, and there, there, there's a lot of history between those two schools, and not necessarily friendly history. Uh, and the Houston fans want that one really, really badly. So, and it's probably going to be their only trip, uh, Texas's only trip to Houston, and probably the only time they play Houston for the foreseeable future uh, since they go off to the SEC next year. So, I don't, I don't think they're Texas is looking to kindle a, uh, a non-conference series with the University of Houston anytime soon. So those are the ones that are probably the highlights on the schedule to me. And to me, how they handle that first stretch, that first month, month and a half of the season is going to tell us a lot. But then towards the back end, when you play Baylor and you play Kansas State in back-to-back road games, do you have the line depth? Do you have the overall talent on defense and the depth there that you need to get through those games? Because you're not going to get through 100% healthy. And that's where I think, this is going to become a challenge, not just for Houston, but I think for all the other teams coming into the conference is, is what that depth means toward the end of the season when their second teamers of teams that you're playing are guys that have been you know, scouted and recruited to play at, at a power five level, whereas these other teams are probably building that still up. That's another good segue because I wanted to talk roster. Let's start with the offensive skill positions and then kind of work our way around the horn. From last year's team, you lose Alton McCaskill. Uh, maybe the best player on the roster, Tank Dell, Clayton Toon. So you're replacing your, you know, a multi-year starter at quarterback, best receiver, best best running back. Um, and, of course, you know, they added Donovan Smith, a, a name very familiar to Texas Tech fans. But tell us about, at the offensive skill positions, maybe some names to watch and how capable do you think Houston will be of replacing all that production from last year? Yeah, it's going to be interesting. I think at receiver, they're going to be okay. And, and losing Tank Dell is not easy by any stretch, but they do they have recruited really well on that side of the ball and in that position in particular. Uh, you look at Matthew Golden, who, who played as a true freshman last year, who contributed quite a bit. I think you're going to see him take another step forward. Joseph Manjack, uh, he, he contributed a little bit. He got banged up a little bit last year. Sam Brown, I think you could see he was a transfer from West Virginia. He'll probably step into a bigger role. Uh, and then they got an incoming freshman, uh, a four-star recruit who they won, uh, uh, beat a lot of other teams for, Mikhail Harrison Pilot from Central Texas. Uh, I think he's a guy who you could expect to step in uh, right away and contribute. Uh, the, the loss of McCaskill in the portal, I think, is going to be a tough one for sure. Uh, that that was a guy who I think they were really banking on to be healthy and to come in and be the dynamic playmaker that he was as a freshman. They do have some guys with experience. You know, Brandon Campbell got a lot of action there last year. Uh, I was thinking uh, Stacey Sneed got some action there last year. So they still got some guys uh, to work with, but I, I don't know that they have someone quite as dynamic as uh, as Ultimate Caskill was. And they got they got a, a, a freshman coming in from Central Texas, Rashawn Sanford, who was super productive uh, from the clean area. So I think it'd be interesting to see if he can contribute right away. But uh, but I think they they I think they'll be okay e- even though losing McCaskill stuff because that McCaskill is the kind of guy who I thought could be a star in the Big Twelve. I don't look at the other backs at this point and think to myself that they're of his caliber. But it'll be interesting to see if one of those guys emerges. But 
I think at, at the receiver spot, they feel good. And then Donovan Smith, I think we all expect he's going to end up winning the job uh, when this thing is said and done. He's got you know eight starts under his belt uh, in the Big 12, uh, plenty of experience, big body, can run it, can throw it, uh, tremendous talent. And, and I, I think you you guys is you know familiar with Texas Tech. I think you, you would probably agree that Texas Tech fans, aside from the turnovers, that was a, a little bit of an issue for him. He was a pretty serviceable quarterback and, and pretty capable, and he could win you a ball game. He can win you a Big 12 ball game. So I think they're in a good position as far as that position is concerned. There's a lot of gamers in the Big 12 at quarterback. I don't know that there's a lot of talent this year, but there's a lot of gamers. Uh, Tyler Shuck, Donovan Smith, Garrett Green at West Virginia, a, a lot of gamers, and I think Donovan Smith absolutely fits into that category. Uh, what about the offensive line? You, you're coming in with a new offensive line coach. Um, Brandon Jones, ex-Texas Tech offensive lineman, leaving Houston, going to Missouri, I believe. Um, can they move bodies in the Big 12? That's the big question. That really is a big question. And then they lost uh, one of their starters uh, in the portal back in the spring, which which was a tough uh, a tough break for them. They've lost a couple guys in the portal, but but one that was a was a starter last year, a full time starter last year. And they had lost another one that had started, although kind of would have been a more rotational guy. But that's the big question for them. And I think that's the big question for a lot of these teams is can you can you come in and be effective right away up front? And and if you can, do you again, do you have the depth in case somebody gets nicked up to survive it? Listen to Dana Holgerson talk after going through this team with spring and seeing it in a little bit in the summer. Uh, he seems confident that they can, that they're good enough up front to do it. I'm very much in the camp that I'll believe it when I see it just because I don't know in this program in the last four years that they've been consistent up front. There was the 12 and two season when they went uh, into the conference championship game that season, they were terrific up front and, and they were solid. And that was the one time that I saw Clayton two not running for his life for, for much of the season. Uh, and, and then last year, I think, you know, they were a little bit up and down. They weren't as bad as they were the first two seasons, but that's, that's ultimately where the wins and losses are going to happen for this team is in the trenches. And, I think they've just got to be able to make sure they continue to recruit at a high level, uh, which they hey, have improved their recruiting up front, but also being able to retain those guys and be able to develop that depth. And, and I think making the move out of the offensive line coach, I, I know uh, Iman Nangavi, I think Dana loves him. It's, it's been a really good addition. He was obviously really effective with, with Tulane and, and helping them uh, get that run game going. And I think that's what they're hoping for is can he bring that caliber of run game to U of H? Let's flip to the other side of the ball and, and stay in the trenches um, on the defensive line. Please tell me that uh, Parrish is out of eligibility and he's not on the roster <laughs> this year. Yeah, no, he is. He he's he's done. Uh, okay. But they 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 do have they do have a lot of good body types. That's the thing. And if you talk to Doug Belt, uh, that's the biggest thing. Is not all these guys are going to be chock full of experience but they're gonna have plenty of body types to, to play but yeah Parrish is gone uh and, that, and that's gonna be a loss for them certainly because they had some uh he, he was one of the most productive guys they did and they had to play without him for a decent amount last year as well so uh but I do I do love the way they recruited on that side you you look at David Webu from Oklahoma the transfer who's from the Katy area Seven Lakes High he was the second leading tackler at Oklahoma last year uh, the guy they call Dot Chidozi Nwanko, he's he's been uh, he's been a veteran in the middle of that as the nose tackle for them. 
And then the guy that Belk has really been high on for a couple of years now, 6'3", 250, Nelson Caesar, uh, defensive end. I think uh, they're really excited about what he could bring to them this year. Uh, and like I said, I look at the body types. I look at the depth. I think the depth on that at that position uh, is really solid for them. They, they're able to roll guys. They're able to rotate guys in and out. And I think uh, I think they're going to be okay there. I think that they, they the way they play defense. Brian Early, defensive line coach, who, who's uh, been there for several years now, he does a really good do- job of developing those guys, and they really play with their hair on fire. Like when they they come after the quarterback, boy, they're coming. And it's I, I've been really gained a lot of respect for how in, how much intensity they play with up front. And so I think that part is going to adapt really well and really quickly. Well, well. Yeah, we, we saw it last year in Lubbock. I mean, Parrish almost single-handedly won that game for Houston. I think he had like I'm, I might not even be exaggerating. I think he had like six sacks and it was an American Athletic Conference record. I mean, he was all over the place and I think that he wasn't the only one, but he kind of stood out among the rest. So, um you mentioned Caesar. I think he was a guy that we considered um for our, our preseason All Big 12 ballot. It was kind of hard to judge how to rank some of those newcomers. But I think you're right that that position group seems to be a strong point. And I hope that I hope for Texas Tech's sake, they've kind of cleaned up what they can do uh, in pass pro specifically. But last year, I think they averaged two or two and a half yards per carry running the ball against Houston, a ton of sacks. And um, you know, we talked about the turnovers a little bit earlier with Donovan Smith. I think he was strip sacked a couple of times and, and thankfully Texas Tech fell on it. But I mean, there could have been even more turnovers in that game because of Houston's defensive line just wreaking havoc all night. So uh, anyway, I'll be kind of looking forward when they're not playing Texas Tech to seeing how that unit produces because they were they were definitely impressive last year. Yeah, no doubt. It's uh, like I said, it's they, I think Belk's one of the better coaches. Like I said, Brian Earl, I think is one of the better defensive line coaches. And like I said, they've done a really good job of just amassing talent there. And they have an identity now that they struggled a lot defensively last year. Uh, you know, at times. And I, I think some of that was just some of the turnover they had from the roster year before, a lot of injuries. I think losing Parrish for as long as they did. Uh, I think he was injured like third or fourth game of the season, was off for the year. That that was a killer for them. And so uh, if they can if they can catch a little bit better luck. But again, like I said, I think they rotate guys and they they distribute those snaps pretty well. So I think uh, I think it'll be interesting to see. But to your point on, on Tech, uh, I know they've moved those guys around up front and, uh, and and experiment a lot with that in spring and trying to find that right mix up front to make sure that they protect. Uh, because if they do, I mean, Tech's got, Tech's got a lot of offensive skill talent and uh, I think can really uh, put up a lot of points with Zach Kittley if, if they can protect really well. You mentioned Doug Belk, um, a hot name in the coaching community, a young up-and-comer. I think they gave him uh, a raise even this year to keep him around. Um, night. Look, I don't want to say that Houston's going to start off poorly, but nightmare scenario: they have two losses in the non-conference and start rough in the the Big Twelve, and they let Dana Holgerson go. Um, is Doug Belk a, an option there, or are they just going to call Jeff Trailer and call it a day? <laughs> if they, if they, well, first of all, I would say this program isn't a, in a spot where I see them ever making a midseason move. I, I think it would have to be like a late in the year type thing. But if they were to make a move, yeah, if you're going to move on from Dana at some point, I don't think you're, they're going to promote somebody from on staff. And I say that even knowing how highly they think of Doug Buck. They gave Doug Buck that raise because they do think he's a future head coach and because they wanted to keep him on staff. And and they do think he can do well at that role at some point. Um, 
you know, I think in their minds, hopefully Dana has a lot of success and this is his last job. And maybe five years from now he retires and maybe Doug Belcher head coach then possibly. Uh, I don't know that Doug would wait that long, <laughs> to be quite honest with you, because I think if, if Doug's ascension continues last year notwithstanding, I think he's going to end up having opportunities that are going to be impossible to pass up in the next couple of years. But yeah, if if you could go get Jeff Trailer, and, and I'll be honest, it de- it all depends on how those things shake out and and what the urgency level is. But if you could, if if Dana's not the answer and they don't make a move after this year, to me that's the number one call you make if you're Houston. And to me, you'd be you'd be crazy not to start your search right there because I think. When you look at what he's done at UTSA without the resources that Houston has and without the backing that, of a conference like the Big 12, recruits at a high level, develops at a high level, has impeccable relationships across the state, he would be a home run, and I think he would kill it at Houston if they ended up going that way. But I do think uh, this year is going to be very telling for Dana in terms of the long-term path of this program. It, they have got to show some progress. I don't necessarily know that they need to go win 10 games or anything like that. I think that I don't think anybody's looking for Houston to do something unrealistic. And I think they know there's going to be growing pains. But if they're four and eight or something like that, the fans, I don't know, are going to be very happy with that. The alumni are going to not be very happy with that. And, and I think that's going to really put the onus and the pressure on the administration to do something. So I think this is a really big year for Dana to kind of restore confidence in this program and in the fan base. Uh, with with the direction that they're going because all the other moves that you see everything seems to be going right except for last year on the field in those late game moments when they weren't able to close out against uh, Tulane or they weren't or they were struggling to close out against Rice or they lost to Tulsa at the end or you got hammered by Kansas at home those things cannot happen they cannot have the embarrassing games because they everything everybody knows and we're we've just been talking about it for the last 22 minutes Houston's got talent, and there's no reason why, in my opinion, they should have been eight five last year. Let's tie a bow on the defense and in the back end, secondary or linebacker spot. Give us a couple names to watch, whether it's returning production or maybe some portal ads uh, that Big Twelve fans need to know before this season. Yeah, I, Hassan Hippolyte is is kind of a senior leader for them. Uh, kind of plays that hybrid backer, uh, defensive back kind of. He'll, he'll be he'll be a really physical guy. Uh, he'll he'll be really effective. Malik Robinson, at, at linebacker, is a guy who's been really solid player for them. He got hurt a little bit last year, uh, but but he's back for another year, and I think they've been very excited about that. the The portal guy that I'm super excited about for Houston is AJ Halsey, uh, the, the secondary. He was a safety at, at New Mexico, freshman All American over there, guy from Fort Ben Marshall just down the road. Uh, he he was a guy that was very underrated coming out of high school, went to New Mexico. Jumped on the scene, made a ton of plays, good ball skills, sound player. They were able to get him to come back home. And, and I love the ability they may have to go plug him in. Uh, Brian George, the corner from Texas A&M, uh, he was a guy that has a veteran in the SEC. He has played a lot of snaps, spot started once in a while, but not a full-time starter, but has played a lot of snaps in the SEC ball going up against those elite receivers. I think he has a chance. Uh, to contribute right away. Moses Alexander, who was a junior college signee from the previous class in, in the 22 class, he's a guy I think that, that Belk and company think is going to probably uh, factor in. Isaiah Hamilton's another guy that they're really excited about from Texas Southern. Uh, he I like led the SWAC interceptions last year, big-time playmaker. 
so they're excited to plug him in. So they got, a, again, a lot of options, a lot of different guys uh, to rotate in, uh, both at backer and, and the defensive back. So uh, I, I'm really intrigued to see how this defense comes together because they have added so much to it. They did lose some key guys, you know, losing Donovan Mutant, losing uh, – uh, I'm losing the guy that they lost to the draft up front. Uh, Derek Parrish, we were just talking about him. Parrish, losing some guys like that, really, it, it, you lose your heart and soul, guys. But they've done such a good job, in my opinion, of adding talent, uh, both with the portal and in the recruiting uh, recruiting ranks. So I'm really excited to see what they come up with defensively because I think they have a real chance to be good. Then I guess the last question I have, special teams. It often gets overlooked, but I think the game in Lubbock last year with Texas Tech and Houston – it's a good example of how special teams can impact a game. Texas Tech missed two field goals. We had a punt that Tank Dell returned for a touchdown. was called back for a penalty. But clearly some plays in there that, you know, a game that eventually went into double overtime uh, certainly had an effect on the outcome. Uh, give us an idea of kicker, punter, and maybe some return units uh, if you think that's a strength or maybe a potential weakness for the Cougars this year. Yeah, uh, Kyle Ramsey, who was he was their kicker last year. Uh, you know, five of six. You know, going through, only missed one one PAT. So, you, you feel like you're pretty solid in that spot. Lane Wilkins uh, was their solid guy. So he, I think, I, th- I believe both of them are back. Uh, so they're in good shape there. In the return game, I think they have enough guys uh, that to choose from. That uh, you know, could could you see a Matthew Golden back there possibly? Uh, could you see one of these other other receivers or, or one of these defensive backs uh, coming in there? I think one of them, I'm trying to think of the guy, uh, Belk was one of the nickel corners that they had. He was really excited about, and his name escapes me at the moment. But uh, but I, I do think they have enough talent to be able to uh, to be solid and effective on special teams. Uh, and but but again, like you said, it it's so that that area is so wishy washy, especially in the kicking game. You just really never know what you're going to get. Uh, but and until you actually see it out there and, and when you're in those pressure situations. But but I think overall, I think they're in solid shape uh, coming back on that side. And so we'll, we'll be interested to see how that develops. Uh, something Kyle and I have been kicking around about Houston. Uh, I want to get your take on it. Um, so Texas Tech and Houston will probably play every year home and away. Uh, home and home, whatever you want to call it. Uh, what do you think about the potential of working in NRG uh, maybe every third year or every other year that you play in Houston um, just to get another NFL stadium kind of in the rotation or maybe even every other year? Yeah, I think uh, from Houston's standpoint, I think they really want to reserve that for the bigger non-conference games that, uh, you know, and I, and I say that, I mean, like your high-end power five, your I think they have LSU coming in 27, I believe it is. Uh, that's the kind of game that I think they want. They they're open to using that for, open to using NRG for. I think in aside from that, or if they end up in that kickoff game, the Advocare kickoff or whatever it's called now, uh, the Texas kickoff in the very beginning of the season, uh, that's an NRG game. And if they get selected for that, obviously that's where you did. I think that's a game that Texas Tech and Houston played a couple of years ago. Um, but I don't think, I don't see them moving conference games to NRG just because that's the whole reason they built TDCU. Yes, it only seats 40,000, but quite honestly, 
you know, to this point, they have not packed it, you know, and sold it out on a consistent basis. And so I think that's what they're hoping for is to now, and they're in the Big 12, let's get that stadium capacity more to like 90, 95% full for these conference games. And that way you keep that gate. You're not necessarily having to, uh, you know, account for some of the other expenses that come in with with having NRG. But uh, yeah, I think I think if if you could convince if you could convince some big big time programs to come, uh, then I think that's where they'll use it. But I, I can't see them doing Texas Tech again unless it ends up being a quote unquote kickoff game. But I think conference games in general, I think that Houston's going to try to avoid uh, moving to NRG for those. Last question before we get to our listener mailbag. We are a podcast with a sports betting angle. And I'll be honest with you. We we submitted our preseason ballot last week, week before. We had Houston 14th. And, <laughs> you know, we had reasoning for it. I think we were both kind of like not totally convinced that there was a huge amount of difference between 11 or 12 and 14. But Houston was last. And I think maybe you've persuaded me some on my perspective of Houston in this conversation. Their win total right now is four and a half. And there's, I think, two or three other schools in the Big 12 that are also pegged at four and a half. And of course, that's not conference only, but it does kind of indicate that they're expected to finish closer to the bottom. If I give you that number today, and I don't know if the odds are juiced toward the over under, but four and a half, what's your kind of initial gut reaction to that number? Yeah, I, I think it's not far off. I will. T- I would take the over. I would take the slightly over. I think Houston is going to end up like cutting it close to either making or missing a bowl. So I think that I, I, I honestly think they're going to end up in the five to six win range this year. Uh, so I would take the slightly over, but it would, it would it shock me if they ended up four and eight? No, just because of the schedule and some of the issues we talked about with offensive line and, and depth and things like that. And it's uh, they have for, for them to go for them to be, I think a shoe in bowl team, you've got to go three and O in non-conference for sure, which means you got to beat UTSA Rice Houston. Uh, I mean, uh, I'm sorry, UTSA Rice Sam Houston. Uh, and then you're going to have to, you're going to have to steal a couple of games in the big 12. Uh, so three games uh, at least. So, you know, where do those games come from? Uh, and so that, that's, that's going to be where the challenge is. So I, I certainly understand the overrunner, and I think it's probably the smart place to put it, but I would take the slightly over because I do think there is, enough talent here. And I think addressing some of the issues they did, uh, especially a quarterback, like we talked about the defense, I think some of the, I think they're going to be pretty good defensively. And I think they may be good enough. That's going to help them win some games ugly. Um, But, uh, but yeah, I I think, I think we're going to be at the end of the year when they play Oklahoma state or UCF at the end, they're going to be playing for trying to get to a bowl game is I think where we're going to how about if the number was right at five and you had the safety blanket of pushing if it's five? Do you think six wins or four wins is more likely? If I had to bet today, I'd probably I'd probably say four. Okay. I'd probably say four is more likely. Uh, and, of course, that's – it's so hard because I do think – like I said, I do everything, everything they've done in pre- preparation for this move is right. But I think it's hard. And as I look through – you know, trying to get, and we'll see the preseason poll at the Big 12 Media Days in a couple of weeks. I just think all these teams are going to have a little bit of a, a learning curve moving in. And 
because, like I said, we're talking about a conference where the last place team last year, Iowa State, had one of the best defenses in the country. I mean, this is this is a different league, and the competitiveness in this league. And I look, I look at the top. I look at how good, uh, how good TCU was last year, and had to be to run the table. I look at how good K State was going ten and three and winning the conference. I look at Oklahoma was down, and they they certainly have a lot more talent than than Houston does. I look at Texas as a team that could potentially get in the mix to win the conference this year, and I look at the roster talent, and it's just different. It's just different than what Houston has, and so or or any of these other teams have. So, I just think it's going to be an uphill battle initially for these schools and, and Houston in particular. But yeah, if if I were betting on it today, and you made me choose between four and six, I'd lean towards four. Gotcha, Rob. Do you have anything else for Sam before we get to the mailbag? I am interested in some answers from the mailbag. I could start okay. with, uh, if you want me to. <laughs> no, we can. Yeah, we can get right into it. Um, like I said, Sam, I tried to warn you before the show. Some of these are going to be good questions <laughs> that spark insightful conversations. Some of them are going to be just horrible. So uh, <laughs> okay. we can knock out a couple of the bad ones first. Um, when or what was your first Big J Journo moment? <laughs> oh, wow, that's an interesting question. Uh, I don't, you know, I've never really thought of it that way. Uh, I would say the first time that I felt like I was doing something important was my second year on the in this job not here specifically in second year in sports journalism uh it was at the houston chronicle uh and i was all of 24 years old and we had had several athletes in the houston area high school athletes die from uh i think heart issues heart related issues and i i and we ended up doing an investigative series about an eight i think it was a seven or eight part series on defibrillators and the whether or not schools all these schools had access or if they had the proper protocols because at that time they were not mandated on uh for all these practices or to be available for all these workouts and uh we ended up winning an award for that uh because it was it was an important story because it was it was a trend that was really troubling at the time and it was it was a life-saving mechanism that we're talking about a life-saving device and I, I was, you know, we the, the story came out really well. The series went really well. We won a, a top 10 award from the Associated Press Sports Editors for it. It was my first real big award. Uh, and it was for something that really mattered because not long after we did that series, it ended up becoming mandated at the statewide level that every athletic event had to have an automatic electric defibrillator there in case something like that happened. So that was the first time that I felt like, wow, this is, you know, because I do, I cover college footballs. I mean, I'm not going to act like, you know, we're curing cancer here, but there are important parts of this job that we get to do or that, that we need to do. And that was the first one for me that was, and it was something that left me really proud. It wasn't easy. Like doing something like that was very challenging, but it, it was great to be a part of. And it was, it reminded me of, you know, ultimately what the, you know, what I got into this for. Yeah, that that's awesome. That wasn't the answer I was expecting. I think most guys <laughs> would say like their first big interview with, you know, a, a big name or something like that, but that, that is awesome. Um, best rapper. We have a who is Mike Jones question, and then a best rapper <laughs> from Houston or Port Arthur. So I'll lump that into one and give us your favorite H Town rapper. Oh, Pimp C, man, gotta be Pimp C. Pimp C. You know, R.I.P. I mean, we just we were just uh, uh, just past June twenty seventh, obviously. Uh, so you got to respect all the Houston rap. But I mean, there's the the, lo- the list is long. But uh, but Houston, Port Arthur, Southeast Texas, yeah, you got to go with Pimp C. Awesome. 
Uh, favorite thing to do on campus as a student, uh, and what's one thing you wish other schools or people knew about the University of Houston? Uh, the favorite thing to do, I just, I did like to go attend sporting events. So I, I did like to go to football games. I enjoyed that. Um, I did like, back back when I was a student, uh, we used to have, it's not there anymore. I think they destroyed it. And I think it got damaged by the flood, but we used to have what was called the UC Satellite. Uh, they had, a, they had, I remember when they put a Starbucks down there. I used to like go get Starbucks and they had uh, pool tables. I would go shoot pool and drink some Starbucks and hang out with my buddies in between classes. And uh, it was just a nice place to, you know, you could eat, you could drink, you could uh, hang out, you could study, you know, get your Wi-Fi or whatever. Uh, but that, yeah, that, I don't think that, that space exists anymore because of the, I think Harvey, the flood or whatever, I think it damaged it and they ended up doing away with it. Um, and then uh, what was the second part of that? Um, something that you wish other people knew about the University of Houston. Oh, I, you know, when I got there, it was, it had a heavy reputation as a commuter school uh, because I mean, it, it very, I think it very much still was. Uh, it has grown a lot in that way, but, one thing I loved about it is that even though it didn't have the reputation of Texas or Texas A&M, the flagship schools, quote unquote, in the state of Texas, it really was a great place. Like just because for me, I found so many people that were either like me or had similar interests to me. And I just thought it was a really good community. Like the people there were so good. And, uh, I, I it's a very it's a very diverse community. You can find people from just about every walk of life at the University of Houston. Uh, and and you can you know, I, I enjoyed I ended up, like I said, uh, working at the student paper there uh, toward the end, which was a lot of fun. But just getting to know people from there and getting to experience the campus was I felt like at that time it was just a little bit more laid back. And, uh, you know, even though it was a big school, it didn't feel overwhelming to me. And like I said, I think a lot of that just because the people were just good. It was just down to earth people uh, trying to get an education and and make it in this world. And I, I think uh, a lot of people, you know, that go to U of H, maybe have a little bit of a chip on their shoulder. A little bit. You know, they want to, you know, maybe something to prove. And and uh, but not in a bad way. It's just like, hey, you know, you're just trying to trying to do what you got to do. And I appreciated. I always appreciated my time there, and I met so many great people, and it changed my life. I wouldn't be in this industry and doing what I do, if not for the people, and especially some of the professors that I had there that had a profound impact on. I can dig that. I think a lot of people at Texas Tech and in West Texas would tell you the same thing about the chip on the shoulder mentality. <laughs> so I like that answer. Uh, I think men's basketball is probably the obvious answer to this question. So they say besides men's basketball, which UH sport do you think is best equipped to like make the transition to the new big 12, uh, the fastest kind of, kind of like compete at the top of the conference immediately. That's a great question. Uh, I don't know. Is I, I did, I guess that would require me to follow the other sports a little bit more closely because that's the thing too, is because, because my job is college football, I don't necessarily watch sports a ton uh, outside of that, you know, because <laughs> I, I use my downtime to get away from sports a little bit. Uh, yeah. I guess, you know, I, my, my guess would be baseball. Uh, just because, and, and I know, you know, Todd Whitty's been there for a long time now. Uh, he, he started his career there when I was on the beat. Uh, and I know they've had some good moments. They've had some down moments. But this is, they, they are in a state, again, kind of similar to, uh, to football and, and certainly basketball, but definitely football. They're in a state and a city that is chock full of elite recruits and big time players. Like, 
high school baseball is such a big deal down in Texas and especially Houston. So I, I haven't followed their recruiting to know, okay, are they starting to up their recruiting? Are they doing a better level? I don't know. But the potential, if you're able to recruit a higher level of player now that you're playing in the Big 12 in baseball, then I think you have a, a pretty good chance uh, to, to make some noise there. Two more for you, and then we'll let you get out of here. Uh, tell opposing Big 12 fans what the tailgate scene is like at U of H football <sighs> games. It's really good. I think it's, uh, you know, you would not associate uh, this program because we talked about, hey, they don't fill the seats and it's not a place that packs the stadium all the time. But the tailgate, that is one thing that is really good about Houston. The tailgating scene is really strong. And uh, to some point, I think, some sometimes I think they wish the tailgating scene could be as good as the, I mean, could be better, or the in-stadium atmosphere could be as good as the tailgating But it, it, it's really good. It's very welcoming. I, I've always enjoyed it. Um, and especially since they opened, it was really good even in the Robertson Stadium days. But And, and now it's a little bit smaller because, uh, you know, the, the parking garage and the indoor facility, and then now the new end zone facility that's going to take place is going to eat up some more of that space. But that said, there still is really good tailgating. And right when you walk up to TDECU Stadium, kind of that little spot between uh, the parking garage, the indoor facility, and the stadium itself, there's a lot of activity going there. You go on the other side. Uh, that's kind of close facing Cullen. There's a lot of activity over there on the end zone that's facing Scott Street. There's a lot over there. It's, it's, there's a really strong tailgating scene. And I, I've always been, like I said, I've always found it very welcoming, very inviting, uh, very impressed uh, with it all. Uh, and then I do have to shout out a friend of mine, uh, uh, Philippe, his, his, his group. They have a group out there and they're a little bit further away from the stadium. It's called Cookston. Uh, they have a really, really strong uh, tailgating scene effort just about every home game. Uh, and they always have good food, and like I said, it's it's always it's always a fun time. But it's it's good. I think I think people would be pleasantly surprised when they come to Houston as to how how good the tailgate is. Awesome. Uh, okay, last one. I think something Big Twelve fans are wondering about all four of the newcomers. It's kind of like who they will form rivalries with, and Houston has the advantage of previously being in a conference with some of these Southwest Conference schools. But give us maybe who you think the top one or two rivals might become for Houston over the next five or 10 years. Yeah, I think, believe it, believe it or not, I think it's because they played some since they've been not in the same conference. But I think Texas Tech is going to end up being that in, in the short term. Uh, they played, like I said, there's some familiarity there because they played each other recently. They played each other, you know, more than a decade ago. Uh, they played each other in 2018. Uh, and I think you mentioned the chip on the shoulder. I think the mentality of the fan base is, is a little bit similar. So I think that's going to lend itself uh, to some really interesting battles and some and an interesting dynamic between the two fan bases. Uh, and also, I don't think it's a secret. Both of these programs have largely been known, certainly in the last 20, 25 years, uh, has been known for their offense. You know, And so uh, I, I don't see that changing at Texas Tech with Kitley and, and what they've got going on over there. Uh, I don't see it changing at Houston as long as Dana Holgerson is the head coach. So... Uh, you know that I still remember. I think it was the 2018 game. I think the final score was like 63 to 49 or something like that. In love, it was crazy. Uh, th those games always seem to be competitive between these two teams. Last year, you saw they went to a couple of times, and uh, it's. I think that one's going to be a good one. Uh, and then the other one of these, gosh, I mean, could it be Baylor? Possibly. Could it be TCU? Possibly. Oh, I kind of am interested in the Oklahoma State. Uh, relationship that's another one that Houston has played in non-conference and Oklahoma State's program is a little bit of a higher level 
And I think Houston wants to kind of get to that level. Uh, and, and certainly I think I could see for whatever reason, I could see something develop in there. And then you have two coaches who are, you know, Gundy's been there for a long time. Dana's not been in Houston. He's only been in Houston four or five years, but he's been head coach for a long time. Those two personalities, I could see a little back and forth between those two. They, of course, I think uh, Dana worked for Gundy uh, for a year before he went to West Virginia. So I could see that. I could see Oklahoma State and Houston developing into a little spicy something. And I say that Baylor and them also had – Baylor and Houston, they did have a little spiciness. If you guys remember, the 2020, they had scheduled a game very hastily with Baylor uh, to try because we were in that mode where we we're trying to schedule games when games got canceled. And then they didn't end up. Oh, there's my, uh, there's my three-year-old, two-year-old. Hi, I'm on the podcast. Quiet. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Uh, the Baylor and Houston had tried to schedule a game and then it got canceled. Cause I think Baylor didn't have enough offensive linemen because of COVID uh, or something like that. And I think Dana Holgerson tweeted out a picture of the equipment truck in front of McLean stadium saying we're ready to play. And so, Mac Rhodes ended up saying something back about Dana uh, in the press. And so that got a little salty. So I could see Baylor and Houston being something. I could see Oklahoma State and Houston being something. But Texas Tech, I think, to me, is the one that I think immediately can become pretty spicy. Yeah, the uh, the COVID Twitter beef, that's like – that's what makes college football great. And so <laughs> I hope that they lean into more stuff like that. I want Houston and UCF to lean into the space race rivalry oh, and oh, yeah. <laughs> play for a rocket ship trophy or something. I don't know. I think that would be kind of cool. Well, that's um, Rice. But see, Rice claims that in Houston because Rice is where JFK did the spa- the uh, moon speech. Okay. So, so – Yes, Houston could do it with UCF, but really it's Rice if we're – and I think Rice even had space uniforms last year for a game. So okay. uh, so, if, so in that space race that everybody's trying to claim in college football, Rice is Houston's entry into it. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> well, Sam, we appreciate you joining us. Uh, before you sign off, go ahead and tell our listeners where they can find your work. Uh, at theathletic.com on our college football page, uh, you'll find all my stuff there. Or if you go to my Twitter bio, as long as Twitter still exists, however long it exists, uh, I have a link in my bio that goes straight to my list of stories at the athletic. And of course, if Twitter survives for a little bit longer, I will be posting all my stories there. So, uh, so stay tuned there. And we will have, uh, I know people have been asking about the podcast. This is this month of July. We will be launching our, our, you know, new rebranded podcast. Uh, show later this month so you guys stay tuned on our podcast feed i'm not sure yet but i'm pretty sure it'll probably still be on the same feed it was on before so uh so keep an eye out for that because i will be on there with max and several of other several of our other reporters and, and writers at the athletic so appreciate you guys having me. yeah very cool thank you for joining us i know you got to run but uh, we appreciate your time and uh, look forward to this coming season thanks so much for having me y'all take care all right thank appreciate you, you sam All right. There you go, Kyle. Houston. Houston. And Rob, I've given you props for this before, but facilitating the mailbag, not as it sounds so simple. You know, you just read off your phone, but it's it's tough to do while you're like recording live. So I had to do it that time because you're on your phone. But uh, shout out to you for doing that like 95 percent of the time. Yeah, the, the comments were asking about my face. It's uh, I was in a historically a gruesome accident this afternoon, so I uh, have my camera off. Yeah, that's not true. But uh, the scarring is disgusting. <laughs> Rob is literally uh, twenty feet away from me right now, and I can I can vouch for sure that that is not true. 
Um, uh, Kyle's dogs got me. Yeah, well, th- that's more believable. <laughs> okay, I did not want to interrupt Sam because his time was limited and he was running right through it. But we need to give a shout out to our friends at Rahino Barbecue. Uh, at Rahino BBQ on social, RahinoBBQ.com. Order ahead. I think they're open out in Olton, or are they still, still under construction? Still closed. Okay. But the, well, the anticipation is building, Kyle, for the yes. Reno barbecue market. Get that pent-up demand going all summer so that whenever they open brick and mortar, we have a line of Gauchos listeners and fine West Texans ready to consume the greatest barbecue in the world. Appreciate Rahino's support of the Gauchos. And we already did the mailbag, but that would be the diversified lenders mailbag. Turning your... Uh, Receipts into cash or something like that. We don't really know what they do, but uh, diversifiedlenders.com. Do you know what they do, Rob? Accounts receivable, Kyle. Accounts receivable. Yeah, yeah, same thing. Turn your receipts into cash. (laughs) Um, It's the new Bitcoin. You buy something on a credit card, get a receipt for it, turn it into cash. It's all a write-off. Profit, yeah, you just write it off. Who pays for it? You just just write write it off. off. Um, what else do you want to cover? I don't want to go too long here on one episode. I know there were some recruiting moves in baseball and football, and we could do some other stuff, but we also might want to save that for another episode. So where do you want to go from here? Yeah, let's save football recruiting because I think there's going to be more before we uh, record on Wednesday. Eyeball oh, emojis. Yeah, siren emojis, uh, wink emojis. But I do – you say wink? Yeah. But I do want to mention the uh, Mason Molina move. <laughs> Please don't. <laughs> for the for the listeners' audio only, Kyle just winked at me. Um, yeah, Mason Molina in the portal. Uh, I am outraged because I think there's some tampering going on here. But what are we to do? Um, and I do want to mention the, the SEC. Look, there's a $12, dollar. $12 facilities upgrade happening at uh, Dan Law right now. To keep up with the SEC, you need to do twice as much as you're doing right now in Texas State baseball. So I don't I don't think there's a problem with the program. Uh, I still think highly of the program. I am excited for the next season, maybe not as much as I was when Mason Molina was still going to be your Friday night starter. Um, and of course, you know, he could come back. I think we're legally obligated to say that when somebody enters the portal, but um, it is frustrating that you're losing some, you know, a big 12 freshman of the year and uh, now a starter potentially both going to the same place. Um, it, I don't want to say it hurts. That's uh, want for a better word. It hurts, I guess. Three things on this. Number one, I don't know if this is like on Twitter yet. And so I want to credit Red Raider Sports for being the first to kind of report on this publicly. Although we heard basically the exact same thing that Arkansas was the likely destination yesterday from someone. And so when this was published by Red Raider Sports today, I don't think it was a shock um, like it might be to, to, to the public. Like you said, he may come back, but I think 90 percent 95 percent of guys who enter the portal uh, do so because they intend to leave and go somewhere else and so there is no way around point number two there's really no way around spinning it and saying that losing your ace is no big deal or 
you have some other arms. That's true. Like you do have Zane Petty and Kyle Robinson, hopefully both coming back. And they, they were great toward the end of the season, but you're losing your most experienced starting pitcher. The guy that was going to be your ace next season, barring some huge portal addition. And so that's, there's no way to spin that and say, well, it's no big deal. Just like the Hudson white, you could say, okay, maybe he's not the best defensive catcher, but he would have been a great bat in your lineup, a good utility player. Yep. There's no way around that. This is a net negative. Number three, I it's too early to say this because this may be a one-off. It may be a coincidence, but you have trended down a little bit in the last few years from Omaha in 2018, 2019. Then you get COVID and then the last two or three postseasons have not been as fruitful for you. I think Tim Tadlock is an amazing coach. I think Mike Gundy is an amazing coach. I think Mike Gundy has not adjusted to the world of the portal and NIL as well as maybe some of his peers have. Maybe he's a little bit late to that adjustment and he'll figure it out over the next year or two. I just hope that Texas Tech, and and this doesn't all fall on Tim Tadlock necessarily, but I hope Texas Tech as a program is not falling behind in that respect. And I hope that we're well-equipped enough to, anytime we have a good freshman or sophomore, we don't lose him to the SEC and things of that nature. And so I hope that this doesn't become a pattern and we're not, that we're not like falling down or plateauing from what was the peak of the baseball program, because it really felt like as long as Tadlock was here, you were going to be competing for Omaha in the good years, you know, when you had the the talent and the roster stocked. But if you just keep getting decimated by the portal and your best two or three guys leave for an SEC program every year, I don't know if you can ever get back to that level of competition consistently. So again, I'm not saying that that's the case. I'm just saying, I hope that that, trend doesn't continue or if there are issues with NIL and the portal within the program that they can get it figured out before this does become a trend. Uh, Yeah. I don't think it's a trend yet. I mean, it's just the first year and I think you've gotten more from the sec to come help you than you've lost to the sec uh, with Bryce Bonin and Easton Morrell and the guys we listed a couple of weeks ago. So maybe this is just the returnees of the players to be named later of the Arkansas. You guys, you've gotten in the, the past, you're just doing the trade out late. Um, but yeah, 2019, the last time you're in Omaha, you're in a super in 2021, you're in a, a regional in 2022 and a regional in 2023, you get to the final game each time. So it's hard to say you're trending downward, but yeah, Omaha's last time you've been there is four years ago, three tournaments ago. Um, people are getting antsy and I think Mason Molina leaving doesn't help to, um, alleviate the antsiness no certainly not so um if you need to sue an sec baseball program for tampering call our friends over at barnett howard and williams again like most of our segues i don't think they actually specialize in that area of law but they do specialize in uh, title nine student litigation one of the only law firms in the state of texas that is certified for that they do criminal defense family law catastrophic injury so they can help you out they hope you never need them but if you need somebody solid in your corner during those tough times in life barnett howard and williams uh based in fort worth but they do cases all across the state of texas you can learn more about them at bhwlawfirm.com what else you want to talk about tonight rob um i guess i have some final thoughts if you want to get to that segment let me make sure i don't have anything on my list okay that 
just can't wait. No, it can all wait. So, yeah. Any final thoughts? All right. Two final thoughts. First final thought, uh, we have a complete basketball staff. Besides maybe an analyst or two that I think are still joining, uh, Luke Barnwell and the boys have showed up. So that's exciting. Uh, Second final thought is a final thought of gratitude for the uh, weekend we had. I appreciate everyone chipping in, getting those tickets. It was a fun uh, three days. Two Houston wins, uh, a Rangers win, but we got to see a young bomb and uh, some exciting moments there in the park, especially in the win. Um, So I did want to say thank you to everyone who uh, pitched in and the the listeners. Um, When Kyle closes with love y'all every episode, we really do mean it. We appreciate the listeners and Kyle, I do appreciate you as well. Absolutely, man. I enjoyed it this weekend. That was a, a great gift from our li- from some of our listeners. Um, it, it started out rough. If, if people watch the series, they know we get to our seats and you know they sing the national anthem. Game one, they announce the starting lineups. First pitch, Altuve just cranks one straight away center. So the very first pitch get- you and I laid eyes on is gone to straightaway center. We're like, well, that kind of stinks and. But it all got better from there. They did drop a couple games. You know, it's the Astros Super Bowl. They're playing the division leader. So that you can expect their best effort. But we saw a young bomb. We saw an RBI double yesterday from Josh Young. Saw Raldis Chapman make his debut with the Rangers. So all in all, I, I still think it was a positive weekend. And uh, I had a lot of fun. And, uh, yeah, want to echo your, your gratitude to everybody for setting you up with that birthday gift. Uh, so I, I think that was really cool. Yeah, and you're, you're still four games up if you're a Rangers fan, so. Happy no to be sweat. Here. No sweat. And uh, I don't know that we mentioned it, but Josh Young, all-star all starter. Yes. So, there you go, too. First time in Rangers franchise history, a franchise history that I've followed for my entire life. Long time, our Rangers yeah. fan. No, but it was kind of cool when they were announcing that. You have the, your second baseman, shortstop, third baseman, and catcher. You basically have the entire infield for the American League all-star starters. That's, and that's pretty neat. Potentially the starting pitcher with uh, Eovaldi. Maybe, yeah. That Why not at this point, you know? It's the guy who got voted in uh, not going to pitch. Just just make it the Rangers versus the National League. I mean, just make it a fair fight. <laughs> Might as well. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I got. Everything else is off-season football stuff that we can do on uh, Wednesday night. So I'm good if you are. I'm good, man. A Gambling Gauchos episode under one hour. Wow. Must be a blue moon out tonight. But we appreciate everybody who joined live for your comments, for your questions in the Discord mailbag. If you want to hop in the Discord, patreon.com slash gamblinggauchos. I'm not going to do a Patreon plug to take us over an hour. I'm going to shut up and uh, leave it there. Love you all. Thanks for listening.